Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast where I interview people who on the surface appear to be quite ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have interesting things going on. Kenzie Grimm travels the world. Italy, Japan, Mexico, the United Kingdom, Greece, Italy. Did I say Italy? Ah, let me start over. Sorry. I'll take oh, that out. Yeah. I got a duplicate. Can't believe I did I that. I didn't notice that at first either. Sorry. Okay. Kinsey Grimm travels the world. Italy, Japan, Mexico, the United Kingdom, Greece, Switzerland, Austria, the Czech Republic, Netherlands, France, Iceland, Canada, Taiwan, the Philippines, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia. Kinsey Grimm has traveled to 18 nations all by the time she was 23 years old. She has had many adventures like hiking through Thai jungles, jumping off of Cambodian waterfalls into the most beautiful water imaginable, visiting European cathedrals, and staying at military bases in Okinawa. And Kinsey loved the Philippines. Once, I think she said she could live there. And she did all of this in a very affordable way. Today, we discuss how you can travel and add some adventure to your life and do so on a college student's budget. Hey, Kinsey. Well, it is good to see you. Um, Before we get into exotic travels, I would just kind of like to get into your secret origin story and how travels played a part. So what kind of a little kid were you? I would say that as a little kid, I was very curious. I remember my mother always telling me that I asked a lot of questions and interesting questions at that. A lot of questions she maybe didn't know the answers to. Um, I was the one that was in charge of creating games to play with my friends at recess. And sometimes they were remakes of whatever video game I was into at home or something that I had read in a book. But I would always have my friends, whether they wanted to or not, replay these things out with me at recess or even during class when we maybe weren't supposed to be doing those things. So I remember myself being very curious and imaginative, I would say. And also the leader to get your friends to do things like that. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, that's good. Um, So when you were little also, what type of travel did you do? So, not much. Um, I, well, I grew up in a small town in Northwest Iowa, and my family, we weren't, we weren't really travelers. Um, it was, it was an interesting Saturday if we went to a park and walked around and found different, different flowers, different plants, anything we could find, little critters, um, we would walk down to the creek or walk in the woods behind our farmhouse. So I would say that I didn't really travel at all when I was young. It was more just exploring outside. Um, and for some reason, I, I just remember always wanting to go places. And maybe it was for the fact that oh, you know, I saw I saw a friend go on vacation and wanted to do that or heard of other things that people had done and thought that it sounded, it sounded fun. But as far as experiences, 
for myself, um, travel was very minimum, <laughs> minimal. So you made, you made the best of it with experiences and exploration just pretty much as you could at the time. Yeah. Whenever Absolutely. you, whenever you saw, I don't know, maybe somebody else come back from a vacation and maybe they either had stories or photographs, were you just hungry? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, and I can, yeah, I could remember, I could sit here and probably recount where some of my friends growing up had went on vacation just because I was really hanging on that much to what they had to share with me when they got back. So Absolutely. What was the place you really wanted to go to as a kid? It's it's funny, but it was Japan, which ended up being the first country that I went to. Um, and it, it was something that kind of it fell out of my mind once I got older. But as a little kid, I, I had this idea that if I went to Japan, it would be ninja warriors and like Japanese uh, cherry blossom trees everywhere. And that's for some reason all I wanted when I was a kid. <laughs> you just wanted to walk through a forest of cherry trees and get attacked by ninjas. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's sounds... <laughs> as I got, as I got older, you know, my interests changed and I really thought um, I've always loved Italian cuisine. So I thought that going to Italy would be, would be a second um, a second choice for me. That kind of became a big idea in my head as well. Awesome. Now, I may have already covered this. I'm not quite sure, but was there an experience at that age that made a permanent impact on you? When I was young, probably not. I can't think, I can't think of anything that sticks out to me. Just, just always wanting to, to do the thing, always wanting to go for an adventure, but no, nothing in particular that kind of started that. It was always there. Okay. Well, high school comes along and what type of a high school student were you? I was smart, but I didn't always apply myself as I maybe should have, um, I enjoyed learning from some of the top kids in my class. And I always kind of considered myself kind of hanging on their coattails. So I wanted to challenge myself, but often it was, I was biting off more of the piece of <laughs> pie that I could handle. So I'd get myself in stressful situations, but always kind of knew I had, I had others to rely on. Um, I, I was very social. I had a lot of friends and always wanted to be doing something. I was so busy. My parents wished that I wanted, would want to stay home one evening, and it never happened. I was the teenager that always wanted to go, 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 whether it was play sports or be with friends, whatever it was. I always wanted to be on the go, a busy bee. Well, I'm beginning to think you didn't get too much sleep. I mean, here you're making great grades, you're taking advanced classes, you're doing sports, and uh, in a small town, that just meant a lot of bus trips to a lot of places and maintaining a social life. Um, maybe not much sleep? No, usually, usually not. That's one thing that I think many people end up sacrificing when they are trying to fill all the other 
you know, all the other components of their life. <laughs> oh, for but, sure. But yeah, I would, I would say usually about six hours of sleep was all I really ever got. Oh my gosh. And I guess for teens, but go ahead. You get used to it though, you know, and I, I know it's, you know, it's recommended probably to get more sleep, but I, I know that, you know, a healthy, a healthy adult could, could absolutely run on six hours of sleep. I'm sure many do. So (laughs) (laughs) did you travel at all in high school? No. Wow. (laughs) I think that I really tried to make it happen. I always remember begging mom or dad to say, Hey, let's, you know, let's drive to this city and go to a baseball game or, I would love to, you know, see Niagara Falls, things like that, you know, and it, it just, it, it didn't work out and not because, not because they couldn't manage it. I don't think it, it was in my family's priorities, which is absolutely fine. It's not everyone's thing. And I learned that more and more as I go on with my adult life, that it's 100% not everyone's thing. Um, I do remember that shortly after um, I was done, I'm saying um a lot, and that's bugging me. I'm going to work on that. I don't worry about it. (laughs) Uh, uh, Shortly after we were done with our softball season, my senior year, a group of friends and I went to Colorado for a short road trip. We did a lot of hiking, a little bit of camping. Uh, We actually stayed with a friend out there. But that was my first taste of, of anything. <laughs> and I just fell in love. <laughs> was that like, I don't know, giving a starving girl a sandwich? Yeah, 100%. And I will remember for my entire life driving up the road into Estes Park in Rocky Mountain National Park, Colorado, and it's about a 45-minute drive and these winding, I'm not sure if you've ever been there, you probably know what I'm talking about, and just this winding mountain road that's stunning. And I could not, I mean, I was looking, because I was moving around so much in the vehicle, just looking out all of the windows everywhere that I could, everywhere that I could look. I just wanted to ride on the top of the car at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so then college comes along, and I, I just feel like college changes everybody. Did college change you? Yeah, it it definitely did in a lot of different ways. I think I was used to having a lot of responsibility, but it it made me really have to do a lot more critical thinking as far as academics go. And it, it always made me wonder, because I know I went to a great high school, but it always made me wonder, can any high school fully prepare someone to be ready for college? And I think that's what every school obviously is trying to do, right? You know all about that. But it's just, it, there are a lot of things that students have to learn as they go. Um, and there's not, there's not, you can't 100% prepare for it. So I think that it was a lot of still remaining with 
the balance and the, all of the responsibilities, but having the added stress on top of it and just even a little bit of a, like a confidence, a decrease in confidence, because I thought I've never had to do anything this hard before. And, you know, college still comes easy to, to some, but it definitely didn't to me. And, uh, it just, it, it always was very stressful how, how much, time needed to be put into it and I was so used to having the balance the social life the sports so when I realized that I had to put more into my schooling I I resisted I was like heck no I still want to do all the other things with my life I don't want to take more time to to think about school but you had to 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 be successful and in other ways that it changed me um I think that I was, and most that know me would say that I still am a people pleaser, but I, as my life became more complex and more spread out, I realized that I needed to start putting myself first and had to kind of put on the back burner certain aspects of my social life which was hard because of course I I had a fear that that would make me a bad friend or a bad daughter or whatever it was so that that was a really big learning learning point for me as well well I I still is of course I think that's gigantic what you said just trying to balance those two things out you know your academic life and your friendship life because in a way they're both infinitely expandable I found when I went to college and also when I taught college that you honestly just can't study enough. Um, I, I studied all the time and then I'd still wind up making an A minus or a B plus in some class or one of my majors was math and I, I didn't make a grade higher than a B for two years straight. And I, I there were certain days I was studying 11 hours a day. It was just tough. It was just, yeah. so, I mean, it, academics, I thought was, you could put in an infinite amount of time and still not hit your standards. And then with your social life, well, a friendly person like you is going to make more friends. And then you want to spend more time with more friends. And then <laughs> a week after that, then you add another friend. Then you're like, oh my gosh, now I've got 50 friends. Then pretty soon you have 60 friends then you have 70 friends and you want to spend time with all 80, 80 friends. And you know, how can you? Because you just made another new friend. Right. Absolutely. And I like what you brought up about the feeling of never, never studying enough, because I even think when you take that step further into your professional life, I think I could have been in school for 10 years and nothing would have prepared me for my first year as a professional. Oh, for sure. I just, I feel like that's how life is. Like uh, you hear about people who, I don't know, they get married and then they say just absolutely nothing really prepared me for this. And, you know, and then you, you see couples that have been married for 50 years. And then they say, you know, nothing really prepared me for the 50th year. I'm like, nothing prepared you for the 50th year. What about the other 49 years? So (laughs) it's just life, you know, that's, yeah, it's, Infinite amount of work, essentially. I just did expands. So, mm-hmm. okay. So then you went on and you got a master's degree in social work, and you work for Covenant Family Solutions. What what is that exactly? Covenant Family Solutions is a 
mental health agency that actually has expanded a lot in the last few years. They started in Marion, Iowa, and they've expanded to um, Coralville, Cedar Rapids, Cedar Falls, so all eastern Iowa cities. And, well, if you want to call them cities, they're still small. (laughs) Yeah. But the eastern side of the state. Um, So we have primarily therapists, but a lot of behavioral health intervention service workers, um, medication management, and um, all those other things. So geared towards, all geared towards serving mental health needs in the community. So I actually work now in two schools because I was hired on as a school-based therapist. So what Covenant Family Solutions does is they contract with schools in the area and they send their therapists into the schools in hopes that more kids will have access to mental health therapy. Okay. So that's what, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, and then specifically, what do you do for them? It, it depends. There are a lot of reasons that kids or families will come into therapy in the first place. My referrals come for so many different reasons from so many different school personnel, parents, whatever it might be. Um, With a lot of the younger kids on my caseload, it is often uh, attention deficit disorder, anxiety, uh, oppositional defiant disorder, to name some of the most common. So a lot of a lot of behavioral problems that come out of that, low self-esteem, oftentimes with my older kids, it's primarily depression, anxiety. I've found too that, and again, this is my first year of being a therapist, but I've found too that I think when a kid is going through a really tough transition, which who knows what it might be. Maybe parents are divorcing. Maybe they just moved to a new school. Maybe they, I have, I have a kid who had cancer previously Mm. and is trying to deal with coming back into regular life. And it, it could be something really big and something that has caused a lot of trauma, or it could be something minor and they just need a little bit more support. So I've just really found that they come for so many different reasons. You are doing the Lord's work with what you're doing. I just have to say, I've, I've been a teacher for many decades. and That's uh, also the Lord's work. Well, and, and you're, you're dealing with the people who just maybe just need the most love, the most attention, and in your case, expertise. And so, so thank you. I just think that's great. Um, what attracted you to the social work in the first place? So I always was interested in psychology and when I was in high school, I took a lot of different psychology courses through a community college and enjoyed it more and more as I discovered what it was about. So at the end of my undergraduate degree, I I had narrowed down to either pursue a degree in mental health counseling or a a master's of social work. So, sorry, mental health counseling is also a master's degree. They're both two-year programs. I wasn't sure at the time. I wasn't really ever quite sure if I wanted to do direct therapy. 
So someone who's going to pursue mental health counseling, that's definitely 100% what it is tailored to do, what the person is wanting to do after they graduate. And because I wasn't sure at the time, but I could still become a therapist with a master's of social work. I chose social work because it would allow me to work in so many different settings, doing, doing so many different things. And I'm really thankful that I, that I chose that because it's so versatile. I will say one downfall is that because it doesn't really specialize in one area, it did, I think, make me feel a little more lost when I, started my job because I didn't maybe have the specific trainings that a mental health counseling degree would have prepared me with. Um, but I think long-term I, I made a really good choice for myself because I, I know I might end up doing a lot of different things. <laughs> well, knowing you, I, I could see some switches at some point or another. Um, and I could see you just helping an even wider variety of people. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of getting back to travel then, um, let's look at just a few countries, um, maybe and in an order of how they changed you. Um, which nation would you like to discuss first? So I would like to talk about Japan because as I said before, Japan is the first country that I went to. And it wasn't because of my childhood dream of fighting ninja warriors and walking through cherry cherry tree forests. I it it actually ended up being a bit of a, a bit of out of my control really that I ended up going to Japan um, to to share briefly about how I ended up there. I was in my junior year of undergrad at the University of Iowa and I got involved with a program called Camp Adventure, which is a, they actually had their last year this past year, but decided to finish this amazing program because of the COVID situation. And I think it was just becoming too much of a, too much of an expense for the, the, what am I trying to call it? I can't find the right word. It's not a company, but the organization- Organization. Yes, it was a nonprofit. Yeah, and the organization as a whole, um, which is very sad. But anyways, I got involved with it, and basically, um, there it, it's it's in about twenty schools around the nation, and uh, one of them was University of Iowa, and they train you to uh, be able to. It's it's basically daycare services for military kids uh that live on bases around the world so we trained and learned different songs crafts activities i i ended up being in the aquatics program so i actually was training to do different swimming lessons um with the kids once i was over there as far as going to japan i had three three choices of where i could be placed and I, I believe I chose Italy, Japan, or Hawaii, um, and I ended up getting sent to Okinawa, Japan, which is a small island off of the southwest, southeast yeah, there you uh, go. coast, yep, southeast, off of the coast of mainland Japan, 
So we have we have many military bases there. They're mostly Marine and Navy. I think there is one Air Force, maybe two Air Force. But um, we definitely have a big military presence there. And so I went. I trained for a semester, and I I wasn't I wasn't really sure what it would entail. And like we just said, you know, they prepare you for for months and what to expect when you get there. And you know, the the people at the university they they know that this is a lot of college students' first time being abroad and being immersed in a different culture and whatnot. And you know, they try their best to to help ease students' anxieties about about going to a different place. Um, So, yeah, I didn't know what to expect. I had never been out of the country before, and I find myself 20 years old in the Tokyo airport by myself with, you know, not much, not much knowledge of how to travel. Um, Thankfully, I met up with a couple other students from different universities that um, were also doing the program. And of course, we navigated the situation together. But that's something I will never forget is landing in Tokyo and feeling like the Tokyo airport was this 10 times the size of my hometown. So it was it was terrifying in the moment. as far as the work that I did there, so I, I lived on a military base, and I, like I said, I taught swimming lessons to military kids. It was it was a wonderful experience. It was a lot of hard work, um, which we had long days. We couldn't we couldn't teach lessons during four hours of the afternoon because the pools wanted to have open swim so families could come and swim in the pool of course so we had early morning and later in the evening hours and yeah it ended up being a long day for for the instructors that didn't have much to do during those during those afternoon hours and it was hard to call home because I was 14 hours ahead so mom and dad were usually sleeping at the time that I had free time to call. So um, it, was, it feels like so long ago. And I, I will always re- remember so much of it because it, it just, it sticks out so much to me. I was able to drive there. We had to drive to a different military base for work. So of course they drive on the left side of the road and the driver is on the other side of the car. Everything is so much different and that was a fun thing to do of course it's an island so they have horrible traffic just snail speed at all times which was probably good you looking back (laughs) so even if we got in an accident it probably wouldn't be too serious but um it was it was wonderful and it was nice to have a first experience knowing that I was around a group of people who were there for the same reason and going in for a volunteer organization, but then also being able to leave the military base in the evenings or on the weekends and really get into learning about Okinawan culture and Japanese culture. And that ranged from eating so many different foods that I never thought I would try and navigating bus systems that didn't have any English on them in any way. And learning to be resourceful was really big for me too. And again, it was, it was wonderful to have a first experience with a group of people. 
I have so many questions I want to ask. I just want to start with, did your parents just absolutely freak out? I mean, you're from rural Iowa. Your town had 800 people growing up. And then all of a sudden you are 14 time zones away in Japan. So it's it's hilarious because now that I've done so much, I I forget to tell my parents when I'm going somewhere, and they of of course if they happen to call me, I'll say, oh yeah, I'm I'm in Arizona, I'm in Florida, wherever it is. <laughs> but back then, absolutely, I I definitely tried to reassure them, and we we had an app, WhatsApp. Of course, you're familiar with that probably, but that app, we, I was able to communicate with them a little bit easier than over, you know, just regular messaging and calling. Um, and I think that reassured them. I think they were also reassured that I was going to be on a military base um, and something about just still being affiliated with um, the U.S. in some way was um, was a stress reliever for them. But I talked, I talked with them almost every day and it was either I woke up so early in the morning just to catch them at the right time or they were up really late or vice versa whatever it was but I I think communication always helped and as time went on they became less worried about it uh but it's just funny to think to think how much that has changed in five years because they just they I think they trust me more now and they just know Kenzie's Kenzie's an expert at this. She knows what she's doing. We don't need to worry. She'll figure it out. <laughs> How do you live in Okinawa and then say, "Oh, hey, let's take a weekend trip." And how do you figure out the bus system? I I don't think you spoke Japanese or could read Japanese at the time. Absolutely not. No. I knew about 5 to 10 words of Japanese. And something that, I mean, anyone who speaks English is, as their first language is so blessed and lucky because it's the global language. You go to any country and those, those people are usually working to learn English. And we are very, very fortunate in that way. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to learn the customs and the language of other cultures. So um, I, I tried very hard to learn some common terms, phrases that would help uh, as far as navigating how to plan. We, I, I don't even know where we got them, but I remember everyone having a map, a really wonderful detailed map of the island. Um, and, you know, a lot, a lot of Google searches, a lot of recommendations from people we were with that had been there before. Um, even from military, military parents, um, any, anyone that would have a suggestion for us, we usually thought, okay, we'll, we'll try it out if, if someone's already done it. Um, it. The hard part about that, which thankful again for being in a group setting, but when people in the group wanted to do different things, that's when it got complicated as well. So I remember, you know, on certain weekends, three of us would go do a certain thing and then the rest of the group would go that way. And it, it was a lot of planning. And that is what we did in the evenings when we got home from work, we thought, okay, well, what kind of adventure do we want to go on this weekend? So basically just planning with the group is kind of what made it possible. 
Yeah, absolutely. And definitely, like I said, asking a lot of questions, um, learning. We had a map of the bus routes and all the bus stops. So being able to begin to understand that was also very helpful as well. What do you think your biggest culture shock or maybe a big culture shock moment in Japan was? Like, I mean, there are people when they go to a foreign country, they walk into the bathroom and they just have absolutely no idea what they're looking at. Or maybe somebody brings out a plate of food and you're not even sure, is that actually food? You're just not even sure what that is. Um, what do you think, uh, just, to, I don't know, just something that you just never would have anticipated? There, there were definitely, both of those things have happened, Tim, when I, I do walk into a bathroom and I think, where is this a toilet? What is this? How, how, do, how do I use the toilet here? Because it doesn't look like the toilets that we use in America. And um, yeah, again, with the food as well, it, there were some things that were sat in front of me and I thought, there's no way that this is edible. I, I could never, I could never eat this. <laughs> um, I, as far as something specific, I would say more so the food. Right when we got over there, I, I'm not much of a seafood person. Um, I'm pretty picky about the seafood that I eat. I had never even tried sushi. <laughs> and to have those two things so prominent in, I mean, that's that's so much of Japanese cuisine right there. Sushi. That was, that was hard. That was really hard for me. And I tried to be courageous, but... I, I was not as much as I wish I had been. I found a few dishes that I really loved, and I ended up sticking to those. I love Japanese curry. It's very spicy, but um, I, I like the spice and the heat, and I've always loved rice. Um, so I stuck with Japanese curry or things like chicken teriyaki, you know, maybe a little more Americanized dishes that I was just more accustomed to eating. But I do remember... really trying to get into eating sushi and trying and failing there were there were some sushi rolls that I enjoyed but um yeah like I said I I played it pretty safe and it's funny now because I absolutely love sushi I always tell myself I just needed to grow up a little bit because now I mean it's it's one of well it's not my favorite but I, I would I would always eat sushi I would always go get sushi if someone wanted to and I always think why didn't I do this when I was in Japan I had the real deal and I, I never took advantage of it <laughs> well just just to be fair you and I are both from the same town and uh, the very first time I had sushi I think I was probably over the age of 35 and uh, I came home and I mentioned to two different people hey I had sushi and the first words out of their mouth was isn't that raw fish And then I said, yeah, it's delicious. And then the second question both groups had, different times, different places, was, doesn't that make you sick? So (laughs) I was just amazed. Isn't that raw fish? Doesn't that make you sick? That was, I guess, the rural Iowa response, dogging on myself, my own kind, my own people. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's It's a hard thing for someone who's never had it to um to wrap their mind around and that's what I think it was it just took me a while to feel comfortable with that 
and it does have a certain texture that not everyone thinks is is okay to go in their mouth so um, it's definitely it's definitely not for everyone and if you're not used to experiencing different foods then it's it's definitely hard to open up to that's for sure for sure but I've, I've grown to love it too so when you were over in Japan uh, was there a person or an event that just touched your heart so I would say I okay I have something not specific to share and then something that is more specific but overall I was surprised with how Okinawans would approach us because we were different and want to maybe just say hello or smile or wave or take a picture with us um, or even interact for a while, play a game on the beach, whatever it was. But I think it surprised me that for once I was, I was the different one and I was not the majority. So I wouldn't say that anything specific sticks out to me about that, but I think that definitely opened my mind and touched my heart in a way and thought, how, how could they be more friendly or more welcoming? And it was beautiful. And I, I know that they kind of are known for, for being that way. And it was, it was really beautiful because I think not all people are open to differences and taking that kind of a step I mean, it's, it's brave and it's very extroverted too. And for, to have so many interactions like that was really amazing. Um, as far as something more specific, I'm just, I'm thinking about the personal relationships I made with some of the kids that I interacted with, um, during teaching swimming lessons in the summer. And we had, so I was only, I was at a smaller base in Okinawa so there was only one other swim instructor that was with me and she was my director and so it was just her and I we we got along wonderful together and it was a great experience and it also made it more personal too when it came to the last day that we were there and it was kind of a sort of tradition from the organization to have the parents bring like we kind of had a potluck really we had a bit of a party to say goodbye to the camp adventure swim instructors it seems funny but you know because we were just such a small piece of their day swimming lessons are 15 20 minutes long you know and to have gotten so close to some of those families was beautiful and we could not believe all of the love that we received on this last day when parents brought food, they brought gifts for us. I had, I ended up, I mean, I still have a box of things that were given to me on that day and just wonderful, wonderful things to leave with for, you know, the, the flight home and just thinking about all of the, all of the families that kind of touched my heart really. It's pretty fantastic. Um, what should I have asked about Japan that I didn't ask or maybe phrased slightly differently? Mm, this could be a completely different question. What is something about Japan that people would just never guess? Oh, 
that people would never guess. Wow. I don't, I don't feel like I even have something that is, would be accurate to say. I'm trying to think of what people typically think of when they think of Japan. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, baseball, anime, um, really good cars, uh, sushi, uh, islands, earthquakes, um, rock and roll. Yeah, that was that was wonderful. Robots. I, I think could, they think robots. On it. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I I think because I wasn't on mainland Japan and I was only on Okinawa, I feel like maybe my perception of Japan as a whole is maybe not as um, accurate as it could be. But for Okinawa specifically, I I think that maybe something that people should know and this also builds off of what i shared before about them being so welcoming and so friendly but i also noticed family being a huge value in that culture and like i said i i I don't even know about japanese culture as a whole but okinawans i saw a lot of quality family time happening whether i was you know, in a restaurant or walking down the boardwalk on a beach and it was a Sunday evening. Um, I, I noticed a lot of that and whether they were family or friends, I mean, I wouldn't even know, but I just think that that time together and sharing it with food and fun was just, it was so obvious to me and it was, it was really neat to see. That's great. Great. I just love hearing about Japan. Let's move to the other side of the globe. Let's move to Europe. So you went to a lot of different European countries. Uh, tell us just anything about Europe, wherever you would like to start. Yeah. So I, well, for starters, I, I went to Japan because of volunteer work. And I returned from Japan and I was in love with all things travel related. I wanted to visit every single country in the world. And something that kind of fell into my hands was a friend that had reached out to me and shared a lot of interest in going for a backpacking trip through Europe. And, um, you know, at that point, I just wanted to see everything. So I thought, yes, absolutely. Let's do it. I, I want to do all of the things I possibly can. So sure. I don't have any preferences. I just, I want to go. <laughs> and so it, it was, it was strictly leisure travel, which is a whole different ballpark than going somewhere for a volunteer opportunity. For the first thing, you have a lot more time on your hands when you're not working 40 hours a week. <laughs> Um, but it's also more expensive too. So we jumped around to a lot of different European countries and pretty commonly traveled ones at that. Um, Italy and Greece were two countries that we spent the most time in. We spent about a week in each. And after that, we kind of just sprinkled ourselves in some other major cities in Europe, uh, uh, Prague and the Czech Republic, Amsterdam, Paris, 
London, things like that. But when I when I remember Europe, I I remember Italy and Greece the most. And um, we we did spend a few days in Iceland on our way home. And I think the uniqueness of Iceland was uh, definitely memorable for me. But um, Europe was completely different. Europe was similar. It's similar to America because we still, they still have people who are in a big hurry. There are big cities. There's a lot going on. There, there is crime there. Um, things like that. There is so much history, which there also is in Japan as well. But for some reason, when I'm thinking of Europe, I think of history. I think of medieval things. I think of large cathedrals and churches. Um, it, it, it really was, it, it took me back in time. <laughs> Absolutely. And so in Greece, we, we were in Athens for a few days and a, a wonderful city, so much history. I think someone could spend two months there. <laughs> someone could spend their, you know, a year there and probably not get what they, you know, get everything they could out of it. Um, there's so there's so much to do there, and that's the same with all European cities. But um, we spent some time in Athens and some time on some of the different islands in Greece. And one thing that sticks out to me is meeting a young man on we. My friend and I had actually went on this little day cruise. Um, that took us to three different islands and this man had been working on, on the cruise and had been chatting with us a little bit, sharing about himself. And he actually lived in Athens and we were going back to Athens to, you know, go back to the city for the night. And, um, he said, well, let's, let's get together when we go get back into the city and, um, I'll, I'll show you around whatever. Right. And I think, of course, if my parents would listen to this story, they would think stranger danger. <laughs> don't, don't, what, what, what are you thinking? You know, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't anything that I, I would have been afraid to do. We met at, in this market area and there was so much going on and he walked us around all over the city. And it was amazing because we got to talk with someone who lives there. And at the time, Greece was not in a good economic situation. And he was sharing about all the hard work that he was putting in and not seeing result from that. And the kind of stress that that was causing in his life. And to learn about what common people in this city of Athens were going through was from his perspective, you know, it, it was, it was really eye opening for me. And again, felt in that moment, thankful for, you know, the, the type of upbringing that I had myself and a lot of the blessings that we have in America that we don't think of until we experience something different. And not everyone in America has blessings, of course, but, um, yeah, that was, that was definitely a story that stuck out to me. And I, I do, I do think that safety is a big concern when thinking about traveling and that kind of, 
that brought that up for me too, because of course my friend and I both thought, well, you know, we don't know this person. What, what if, right? What if he, what if he steals something of ours? What, what if something worse happens, you know? And it was one of the first experiences that I had ended up having a lot more of experiences like this, but I, I want to make the point that I do feel that most people are good and have good intentions. And I think that was slowly revealed to me as I went to more and more places is that, you know, there, there is kindness in every corner of the world. (laughs) That's very powerful statement that there's kindness and there's goodness everywhere coming from somebody who's been in 18 countries. I, I just think that carries quite a bit of extra weight. Um, maybe than it would for me, where I've been to four countries and you've been to 18. And just for me, that just means quite a lot. Uh, With this young man, uh, what economic pressure was he under? So he, like I said, he worked on the ship that, the ship, it was a a boat, a cruise boat. (laughs) It It wasn't big enough to be a ship, I don't think. But he was telling us that he... He worked seven days a week, had no days off, and he was basically working 14-hour days, doing the Mm. same thing each day, you know, and this was, this was for tourists. It was the same, the same cruise, the same route to these, you know, these three or four different islands and making the same stops. And of course, it's a wonderful experience for the tourists, right? And it was one of, one of the most memorable days in when I think about my travels overall, I mean, it was, it was beautiful. The person that was the speaker on the cruise spoke seven different languages and was speaking to all of us fluently. It was amazing. And just, and we learned, we had a huge lunch, a beautiful spread of all Greek food. And we danced Greek, you know, traditional dancing. And it was just amazing. But, you know, realizing that on the other side of it, that's probably not what they would want to do with their lives every day for 14 days over and over again. And he was making not good money, maybe around probably much lower than minimum wage here and trying to, he was an old, the oldest sibling of a family trying to help his mom who was struggling through the same, the same circumstances. So like I said, I think overall it was his job situation and not being paid for all of this hard work that he was doing day in and day out, which that happens everywhere, of course. But I think when you're traveling, it's typically not something that you stop to think about. And meeting him and being able to talk with him really, really helped me take a step back and kind of realize. Okay. This is a just a very good story. And I, I do remember just a little bit about Greece's economic troubles over about the last 10 years or so. And I I think they ran into a situation where they just couldn't get a loan. The country just could not get a loan. Usually they get loans from Germany. And I I think the average person just had to pay more in taxes, which probably is what drove up his hours. I'm not quite sure. Please don't quote me on that. Um, So you mentioned Italy as well. Can we talk about Italy for a little bit? 
Yeah, absolutely. I like I said when once I got into high school, I did begin to have an interest in um, in traveling to Italy, and a lot of that was growing up as a Catholic, a Roman Catholic, and also enjoying Italian food, pasta, pizza, and everything in between. Um, <laughs> I. I was very happy that we spent a week there. And again, it, it could have been, could have been so much more, but I was happy that we decided to really focus on, on that country. Um, I, I think in Italy, I was, wow. It's, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. The, the buildings, are gorgeous, the architecture. And of course, again, all of the history, the, between the Roman Forum, you know, the, the Sistine Chapel, the Basilica, everything in the Vatican City was just, I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The artwork, and I am not really that interested in art. I don't know that much about art. And I could not, I mean, my eyes were just peeled at all times. And it was breathtaking to see and imagine people way, way back then doing the work that is still there now. It's just, it's remarkable. Um, of course, the food definitely lived up to its expectations. My friend and I did a cooking class and it was probably the best meal that I've ever had. We made homemade gnocchi, and it took forever. It's a complicated process for someone who's never done it before, and I, I would love to do it again. Uh, we made chicken marsala, which is equally as delicious and one of my favorite dishes now. And having having that experience was, was wonderful. I, I love to eat, and I think that traveling has enriched that and helped me have a lot of a lot of love for a lot of different cuisine. So um, it was it was a really enjoyable experience. I'm going to reveal my ignorance. What is nohi? Noki. You probably do know what it Noki. is. So it's, it, yes, you know it, right? No. Oh. <laughs> um, so it starts with a G, actually. If I'm spelling it correctly, it's G-N-O-C-H-I. There might be an extra consonant somewhere in there. It is a kind of pasta that's made with potatoes, and they're like little dumplings. So I'm sure that you've had you've had it maybe in a soup before, and maybe just didn't you know know what the dumpling was. Um, but it, yeah, it's not as common as other pastas. You can't get it. It's it's not something that you can get at every Italian restaurant. That's for sure. For a restaurant to have a really solid dish on their menu that has gnocchi is well definitely in the area that I live in in eastern Iowa it's pretty rare but um yeah we got to make our own which was quite the experience <laughs> so it's like a little a little ball a little a little ball of potato and flour and other things okay well, sounds super awesome. Uh, just one more question on food. So Italian pizza versus American pizza. Uh, okay. I, I just heard that they're day and night. They absolutely are. And I would, I would say that some, some people would probably stick with their Chicago-style deep dish over authentic Italian pizza. 
because it's very thin. The crust is very thin. The ingredients are very fresh. There's usually less, you know, less meat and, you know, less sauce, maybe less of the ingredients in general. It's a lighter, it's a lighter dish, I would say. You don't see the mounds of cheese and sausage and pepperoni. Um, it's often very light. And that's what was nice about the pizza there is it was cheap. You could get a pretty big thin crust pizza there for probably six or seven dollars in American money, whatever that is in euros currently. I don't know. Um, but yeah, definitely a lighter dish and fresher ingredients. And just the crust was, you, you knew that the dough was made <laughs> right there. And it, it, so it always took a little bit longer for it to come out. But um, yeah, so similar, I would say, you know, to like the brick oven style pizza, if, if I'm thinking of what that is like, you know, but there are so many different variations of pizza in America like you have the deep dish and the New York New York style pizza you've got Casey's pizza which is <laughs> a, a midwestern favorite <laughs> so absolutely uh okay so let's say somebody were going to be anywhere in Italy but they only had 24 hours where should they visit oh my gosh that's so horrible what wonderful question. Oh, 24 hours. Well, it would be, it would be depending on what the person wanted because each, each city provides something so different in the countryside as well. But if it were me, I would want to spend 24 hours in Rome because that is the heart of everything. <laughs> I think you could easily get a wonderful feel for Italian culture in Rome. And and how so? How do you get a grasp on Italian culture from Rome? I think because of because of the history that is there and it being a large such a large city, you have the variety that you need as far as experiences and food and people. But this could really vary based off of what someone likes. If someone want, wanted to experience vineyards, then they would go to the countryside and do some wine tasting. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so it really, go ahead. Let's say I'm in Rome. Um, and I have to choose between ruins or between things that are still going on. For example, the Vatican. I'm forced to choose. You're forced to choose. Or, oh my goodness. Or maybe you could just give me the best of each. Like, if there's, is there a ruin we have to see? Well, oh... Oh goodness. I I mean it it just depends on your interests, but the the Colosseum was really neat. And but I because of the person I am, I would choose the Vatican every time. 
And and why? So, why the Vatican? Oh man, because of the because of the paintings, because of the the structure of the buildings, the basilica. It's just like you said, I think I think it depends on the person, but it still being there and being so well preserved is crazy. Cuz it's really old. Did you go down in the catacombs of the Vatican? Uh we did not. Have you been to Rome? No. Uh-uh. I have not. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we did not go down there. But did you see the Sistine Chapel? Oh yeah. How is it? I would I wish I could have taken pictures, but they don't allow you to take pictures inside of it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, what is up? Go ahead, sorry. No, you you go ahead. I, I was going to ask, what is there about Italy that people would just never guess? Well, what was surprising to me, and it shouldn't have been, it, it seems like it should have, I should have been a little more prepared for it, but it did feel very touristy. And I think sometimes when people picture what their experience might be in Italy, that is not something that they think about. So although you are looking at this wonderful ancient artwork or ruins, whatever it might be, you're surrounded by people from all over the world that came to see the same thing as you. And I I always imagined that Italy would be a more relaxed and more laid back. And when you are going to see those well-known things that everyone in the world knows that they're there and they come to see, um, I think that is that was a tough thing to navigate at times and stressful with, you know, traffic, getting on buses, going around different tours of people that were doing the same thing that you were, everyone wanting to get the same picture of this certain thing. Um, that can, that can take away from the experience. And I don't think that's something that I ever really considered before I went. Fair enough. I, th I think that's a really good point that maybe people think, oh, I'm going to go and have this wonderful magical mystery tour of history and uh, just really not realize that the line for the Sistine Chapel might be stretching out for hours. And yes. that's, that's just part of how it is. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's hard too. And it happens all around the world. It happens here in America too, anywhere at the Grand Canyon, at Niagara Falls, in New York City, in Times Square, it's it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's shift over to what may be your favorite country. Is the Philippines your favorite country? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. The other countries are probably not going to get bad. Um, why? Why is the Philippines your favorite country? Tell us a little bit about the Philippines. Yeah, and I'll, I'll start with um, a little bit of background on why I chose to go there in the first place. Um, like I said, when I returned from Okinawa, I was pretty obsessed with understanding more about the region of Southeast Asia. And 
I had learned to scuba dive when I was in Okinawa. Oh, cool. And I knew that the Philippines was a country that has, I mean, there's over 7,000 islands in this country, and it's a, it's one of the best places to scuba dive in the world. I also knew that it was very cheap to go there, and that goes for the entire Southeast Asian region. So when we're talking about being able to travel on a college budget, that's definitely the place to go if someone wants to travel internationally. Um, I had left for two months, planning to spend about three weeks in the Philippines, and um, this was right after I graduated with my undergrad. I graduated a semester early, so this is what I chose to do with a few months of not having school um, in uh, in the spring semester. Um, so I was planning to be in the Philippines for three weeks and then kind of go around to Thailand and Cambodia and Laos and um, Taiwan. And the Philippines, <laughs> again, it was... I, I couldn't have prepared, like we were talking about in the beginning, I couldn't have prepared myself for what it was going to be like. Um, once I got to Thailand and I could compare the two, I found that the Philippines is, it's almost, because Thailand is touristy in some areas too, and Thailand is a very well-traveled country. The Philippines, not so much at the time. So it felt like a much, much less touristy and less developed and in some places, you know, a, a lot a lot more poverty and crime and things like that were happening um, in the Philippines. So if I could compare the two, that's kind of where I would go with that idea. What I loved so much was some of the same things that I loved from Okinawa. I saw endless kindness any anyone would help me figure out what bus I needed to go on anyone would come up with me and talk with me about about whatever maybe make a little joke about me being an American make a joke about me not knowing where I was going and needing help but in in such a light-hearted way um and um, understanding that these people who were helping me had absolutely nothing and still wanted to take time out of their day to do something for me when I was just traveling there. I wanted to see the beauty of the country and knowing that someone who has no money and maybe doesn't even know where their next meal is going to be is still willing to stop and show me kindness. It was beautiful. So that, that was there. And that was a huge aspect, aspect again, of me enjoying the Philippines. Um, I loved that there was so much variety in each Island. We only went to four or five, but I couldn't, I couldn't believe the differences in the landscapes. And we went from being in the Northern part of the country in the mountains where the, the villages there are primarily for harvesting rice in rice fields. And we spent two nights in this complete shack on the edge of a, on the edge of a mountain that had, I mean, it, it was, it was the, it was an experience for sure. And some of, 
some of the food was maybe even a little questionable. And I got sick pretty quickly when I got there because they may not have some of the some of the health precautions as we do in America. But I will say also people do get sick when they come to America as well because different bacteria and things like that. So it's common for people to get sick when they travel. Um, so we had this experience in the mountains and it was, you know, it was even cold at night, but then we go to a different Island and it's like paradise and palm trees everywhere. And it was 80 degrees and just ridiculously humid and just a complete, a completely different lifestyle. I would say even between, between the people and, you know, they speak different dialects and just to see all the variation was, was really neat. What language do they even speak in the Philippines? So I can't pronounce, I can't pronounce it in a way that doesn't make me sound so dang American. <laughs> um, it's called Tagalog. Like oh yeah, Tagalog, if, yeah. Yeah, if you looked at the word, I believe that's how that's pronounced, but I never really was sure. But there are different variations everywhere. Um. I didn't have a hot shower for three weeks when I was there. Oh my God. It was cold, cold, cold water everywhere that we went. Um, like I said, it's, it's much more of a poor country and that in itself, I think made me appreciate it more. There were a few times where there was a spider on my pillow when I went to lay my head down at night and it was things like that, that I would have never imagined getting into that kind of situation before but um you know we really we really had to kind of rough it in a sense and even just listening to myself speak again I feel thankful for the way that I grew up and where I grew up and knowing that I always had everything I needed and it was it was a privilege for me to enter into a place where, you know, they were pretty much just living on what they could make from the tourists that came into these towns. And, you know, it, and again, showing kindness. I think if I was, if, if I were them, would I treat an outsider in the same way? I'm not sure. And I, I really was just always impressed with how, how wonderful the people were there. So, so really, did it become your favorite country just because of the sheer kindness of the people? I think that mixed with it matches my interests for beauty and landscape with what I'm interested in. I love... I love waterfalls. I love hiking. I love the ocean. I love scuba diving, snorkeling, being on a boat, whatever it is. And that was what it had to offer for, you know, an adventure since. And it was, I swam with whale sharks there. What? And it cost me $20. And what? I was able to, I was able to snorkel and literally watch whale sharks swim around me for a half an hour. Now, if something like that was <laughs> set up off the coast of California, it would cost you $300. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> do uh, do whale um, sharks eat people? Uh, no, they don't. <laughs> I, I don't even know. How big is a whale shark? 
they are they can be as big as school buses as a school bus yeah so when one of them encounters a person what does a whale shark do they simply just say hello and walk by swim by they don't they don't care they they don't mind you at all it's not you know it's not a bother for a human to be around i think you know they're they're just they eat small sea creatures like plankton and things like that and krill so i think they're just interested in getting their in getting their food that they that they want they they don't really care much about humans <laughs> uh, oh my gosh well how long were you in the philippines three weeks and and you went primarily for the scuba diving but what were your other adventures when you were there so along with um spending a few days um in the the rice terrace villages in the north and um and then coming down to more of the southern part of the country um again swimming with whale sharks was a really big experience for us and we also did a lot a lot of hiking and a lot of scuba diving so you're kind of I mean, we, I kind of already covered in a sense what we did when we were there. As I said, I was already, I went with a friend of mine, um, not the same friend as I went to Europe with though. Um, this is a, this is a friend that we ended up going to graduate school together and are employed at the same place now. Oh, great. Great, good, great. Your so, travel buddy, a travel buddy. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, she had not been scuba certified yet. So when we got to a specific island that we knew we wanted to dive a lot there, um, she got her certification for, and it took her a couple days and I got to do some diving with, um, I went out on another boat through another company and, um, that was, and that was really fun to, to go off by myself and do that apart from her for the first time. Of course, once she was certified and we came back together and dove for the first time together, it was so fun. But I think learning to have the independence to, to do those small things on my own was really nice, too. Well, it's pretty awesome. Is there anything about the Philippines that maybe we should have discussed that I didn't ask about? No. And... I think what has made me sad in the past few years is that I know that people refrain from going there because it may not be the safest place to go. Um, And I would want anyone to know that anyone I encountered, anything that I encountered, I never once felt unsafe. Um, And again, that's my experience I'm biased and I'm sure there are things that do happen. I know there are things that do happen, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't skip out on the Philippines if I was, if I was going to Southeast Asia. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. It sounds beautiful and it does just sound like it suits your personality. Uh, I'd like to kind of step back and look at the big picture. Is there a country you wish we would have discussed that we didn't? Hmm. Oh, well, probably Iceland and Switzerland. Those two in Europe would have been, oh golly, but then there's Thailand too. So <laughs> um, those three. Okay. <laughs> but I. Go ahead. To, to keep it short, I would, I would absolutely recommend 
anyone interested in travel to to research those countries and see if it's something that they may want to do because those are three that I didn't mention that really stick out for me as well. Okay, so quick hits, uh, just bullet points. Why go to Iceland? Very unique landscapes. I saw, I mean, it, it, it's a weird place with weird weather. Um, there aren't very many people that live there. So the tourist problem I was discussing before is not a thing, <laughs> um, depending on the time of year. You might go there in the summer where it never gets dark, or you might go there in the winter when you can see the northern lights. So I think that overall, it's it's all about the different landscapes, waterfalls, um, glaciers, all of that. I think that it's so unique. It's just really, really different. I kind of felt like I was on a different planet when I was there. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, so bullet points on Switzerland. Why go to Switzerland? If someone likes the mountains, they need to go to Switzerland. If someone thinks that the American Rocky Mountains are impressive, they would be blown away with the Swiss Alps. And again, not mountains aren't for everyone. And I, I, I pick the ocean over the mountains every time. But um, I, I enjoyed the hiking that I did there and um, experiencing being being surrounded by some pretty impressive mountains. Okay, okay. Uh, bullet points on Thailand. I always felt like somebody should open up a Thai restaurant that serves alcohol and call it Thai One On. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm in love with that. That's amazing. <laughs> I think that's what I need to do. I. <laughs> well, Thai food's the best. Thai. I just love Thai food. You you read my mind. I Thai food is my favorite and being there experiencing all of the different cuisine that they have and totally falling in love and now I eat it a lot. <laughs> so I found I found my favorite place that I feel in my mind lives up to what the food was like there and I get takeout from there very often. <laughs> okay, very cool. Uh, so yeah, the, the food the food was a big, a very big part of why I enjoyed Thailand, among many other reasons. But we'll, we will keep it at that because it speaks for itself. Okay. Now, this one's uh, my, it's crazy hypothetical. But if somebody offered you $5 million after taxes and you had to live in one of these countries for a year, first of all, would you do it? Would you take the $5 million? Yes. And where would you live? Oh, wow. Oh, golly. And you can't leave for a year. You have to stay in this country for a year. Oh, oh man. Ooh, for a year. Wow. That's a big commitment. I think that's that's the issue with this question is it's it's hard for me because I want to go all all around. I would want to go to all the surrounding countries and maybe visit back home once or twice. All right. I, okay, we'll let you visit your family back home. And I'm going you, no matter what, Tim. All right. I already, I already agreed to that. You know what? I would I would maybe say Thailand. 
Guess why? Because, because like I said, it is Thailand and the Philippines are very similar. And the Philippines, although it is my favorite place as far as experiences go, Thailand is a little bit better developed, and I could maybe have a hot water shower there instead of a cold water <laughs> shower. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I think that I could I could eat pad thai and green curry every day for a year. Mm, that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> okay, so philosophical question. They say when we travel, we actually learn more about ourselves, perhaps, than the place that we go. Do you think that this is true? Yes. Do you think it's true? I, I do. I, I've only traveled to four countries, and I, I feel like it pushes you straight up against your limits in some respects. And, and I think encountering your limits is a good thing. Um, I found that out when I was running marathons. When I did my first marathon, I could make it to 10 miles, but I couldn't make it to 11. And I thought, this training that I'm doing is terrible. How am I going to run a marathon if I can't get past 10 miles? And, and so you just encounter all of your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities, your limits. And, and I feel like this sort of thing can happen when you travel. You, you figure out when you're impatient. Uh, you figure out what food you can stand, what food you can't stand. Uh, economic questions come up, you know, you start thinking, I really don't want to spend any money on such and such, but I kind of have to because I haven't eaten in 12 hours. So I'm just wondering, what did you learn about yourself with this traveling? I know you can see my head nodding as you're saying these things. I absolutely agree. It pushes you to your limits and it pushes you to be resourceful. You do learn, you know, you do have to pick and choose on some things you learn what makes you impatient and it's it's almost a little bit shameful at times thinking about the things that make me impatient um so in that sense I definitely feel that I learned a lot about myself I I was forced to be out of control um I was forced to accept circumstances whether they were small or big that didn't go as they were planned to go and as as a person in all human beings search for that having that control over certain aspects of their lives whatever it is and I learned more about that in my job every single day um but that that was really big having to let go of wanting to control every outcome and every circumstance. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, can you tell us a story about how you personally transformed as a person? Ooh. I, wow. That's big. I, I think it has given me courage that I didn't have before. And because of all the things that you and I have just went back and forth about and realizing that whatever experience you're going through, whether it's high school, whether it's college or graduate school or getting a PhD or 
becoming a doctor or whatever it might be, professional life thereafter, I, I sense that I'm a person. <laughs> I don't sense it. I know it. I'm a person that puts a lot of pressure on myself and holds a lot of expectations. And with that comes, it comes a lot of negative things too. Not believing in yourself, not having the confidence, not being able to perform as I should because of, because of those reasons. And I think it, it definitely helped me to gain confidence with what I was doing with my future for my education and my professional life. Because I remember beginning graduate school and that everything that's happened since then with, you know, having to take a licensure exam and getting my first job that I, I don't think I was going to be able to do if I hadn't had those experiences before, if that makes sense. It does to me, because I think if you can negotiate the Tokyo airport for the first time when you are 20 <laughs> years old and you don't speak Japanese and, you know, the airport is 10 times the size of the town that you grew up in and you're in a foreign country, if you can handle that, then later when graduate school comes along, then, well, I, I went to grad school. Grad school was one of the hardest things I ever did. But, but going through anything that's difficult makes a person think, well, this next experience, okay, this is hard. I may not succeed, but I just have to keep swinging. I just have to keep swinging, and uh, sooner or later, I'm probably going to hit the ball, and things are going to be okay. Absolutely, yeah. At least that's been kind of my experience with taking on difficult things, that you're yes. just better off to, uh, to try and fail. I think the real failure is to not try at all. You're, yeah. I, I would agree with that 100%. Hey, let's as scary talk, as it can be. Yeah. Let's talk culture shock. So when you came back home, was there a culture shock that, hey, we're in America and uh, this is weird? I think every time I went home, it's something different that I missed. I remember coming back from Japan, I wanted a Ponchero's burrito and to drive on the right side of the road. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I can remember leaving Southeast Asia and hating it. I, I didn't want to leave. I was so worried about transitioning back into normal life, quote unquote, normal life. I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. I thought, I have to stay here. I have to become a scuba diving instructor and live out my life on an island. I was so worried about going home. I, I will never forget that feeling the last day that I was there and, you know, the flight the entire way back. Um, and that's something, too, that I don't think people predict when they take that big of a trip is what it's what it's really going to do to you and a lot of those feelings are so wonderful and they fill your heart but you you feel a sort of nostalgia and sadness at times that you couldn't imagine just thinking well I did all these wonderful things what does it mean I did all these wonderful things but now I'm just 
quote unquote in normal life again. So where where is the value? Where is the excitement? There is a lot that is hard to transition back into when you return home. And again, it's it's silly because I think anyone would say to me, you are so lucky that you've gotten to do all these things. But sometimes when I'm when I'm thinking about the experiences I've had, I, I'm always asking, what what does it mean? What do I do next? Because I have to keep filling this need, <laughs> fulfilling the need. So I definitely think that isn't something someone could predict. Wow, that's very powerful. You know, I, I, maybe when people travel, they do have this experience. I was in Guatemala for 10 days. And, you know, after about four or five days, you start to ask yourself, maybe I could live here. What would that be like if I actually lived here? And Mm -hmm. you start to catch the rhythms of the country and the rhythms are very different. And you start to fall in love with the country. And absolutely. And then no matter how much you love your country, I love the United States. um, You start to fall in love with the other country too. And, and you just realize, gosh, there's certain things about this country that maybe I like more. There are some yeah. things about the United States that I liked more, but then there were certain things about the foreign country that I liked more. And Absolutely. I, I guess you just get your heart torn, essentially. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And that can even happen on a small scale, too, even when you're just going to a different city in the U.S. for a weekend. Or, you know, I, I just, um, you know, visited a friend in Arizona. It's small, things like that. And, you know, even even just like you said, thinking about the different places in America that maybe you would like to live, it kind of just opens your mind up to all these questions. And it's really great, but kind of hard at times. Yeah, for like sure. Said, heart, yeah, heart, heart tearing a little bit. I, I feel like it, it provokes us with this epic question of, well, who am I and who am I meant to be and where should I live? And am I making the best use of my one precious life? Yep. <laughs> you're you're so you are so spot on. I I I would say that if I didn't mean it. You are you are completely spot on. Yeah, because in in many respects just every aspect of life is voluntary. We could live anywhere. We could be rich, we could be poor, we could live on this side of the globe, that side of the globe, our, our friends, our associations, many things are voluntary. And so in, in certain respects, we are choosing things. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure what else to add to that. Um, I, you I want feel, to make the right choice. Yeah. What, whatever you think might be the right choice. Yeah. And, and just be grateful that we live in a country where that's possible. I mean, I, I study history and there's just any number of countries where people were flat out not allowed to leave. So yeah. the fact that we are allowed to leave is just really good. Okay. Absolutely. Just a little bit of practical advice for the people. Um, I think a lot of people think, Oh, I would love to travel, but I just can't afford it. And yet you did it as a college student. And I think you graduated with little or no debt. And, and yet you still travel to 18 different countries. Um, you could take this in any direction you like. And any suggestions for traveling on a budget? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So when it comes to traveling on less money, it takes more work because when you have limitless amounts of money, you, you don't technically need to plan to plan much. You can take the most expensive flight and not worry about getting the cheapest one. You can walk into a restaurant and not worry what the prices are. You can sleep at any hotel you want and not have to worry about it. So I would say the biggest thing about the biggest overarching thing about traveling cheap is or cheaper is uh, the planning that it takes beforehand. So researching the area that you'd like to stay in and finding that the cheapest hostel or that basic hotel or Airbnb where you know that you're not getting much, but it's a bed and it, there's a little microwave if you want to make a little food and it's a safe area for you to be in, um, whatever, you know, whatever your expectations are. Um, you can kind of tailor to that when you do a little research beforehand. And the same thing goes for places you're going to eat. Um, place Food that you can get, you know, uh, in a market or on, you know, street food is always cheaper than, you know, going into a sit-down restaurant. So there was a lot of that as well. As far as flying, um, it, it takes several days and I usually take weeks and even months to watch flight patterns and figure out where I could fly out of that's cheapest and on what certain days and um, websites that you can book on do a really good job of you know helping you track that I have an app on my phone called hopper that's pretty widely used and that helps me kind of see when flights are going to go up and when they go down in prices. Um, so like I said, you know, if you had limitless amounts of money, you could ask a travel agent to book everything for you and say, here's money here. Here is all my money. <laughs> do whatever, do whatever you would like with it. Um, so it takes more work. Um, let's see here. As far as getting around, in cities, it's always, of course, cheaper to take public transportation. And again, that's that's an extra step of work learning how to navigate a city either on your feet or on, on public transportation, on a bus or the subway or whatever it might be. But that will always be always be cheaper than taking a taxi or an Uber. And, that, you know, depends on who you're with, too. If I was if I had my mother with me and we were in the city for a few days, we would absolutely take a taxi somewhere because, well, it's my mom and I don't want her to have to walk eight miles, but I'll walk eight miles by myself. <laughs> so it always depends on, depends on who you're with. Um, you have to think about your interests as well. And that's where I think I was blessed because I enjoy, I enjoy hiking and swimming and, you know, going to going to different beaches, waterfalls, mountains, whatever it might be, but just the outdoors in general, um, that's what I enjoy the most. So that's what I always tailor my trips around is outdoor activity, which is typically cheaper than, you know, concerts, plays, um, tours, anything like that. Um, now, if you're someone who is interested more so in those things, you'll just know that you'll have to spend a little more money, which is absolutely fine because that's what's going to fulfill fulfill you. 
Um, I definitely traveled very lightly. I don't like to bring very much with me because it just seems to complicate things. So when you only have what you need, it's a lot it's a lot easier to get around and you learn that, oh, you know, I don't really need that makeup for the week or I, I can go without, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of even other examples of something that I just, even if I need a bandaid, well, I don't know, maybe I don't need that bandaid or if I need that really expensive sunscreen that I like to buy at Target. No, I don't really need that for my trip either. You know, it's kind of just knowing that you, you, you don't need much. And that's, it's important to be resourceful to, to keep, um, to keep costs down. How many other questions? Go ahead. uh, I was going to say, how many changes of clothing do you bring? So I, it depends on the trip, of course. Um, I did, so two of my trips were two months long. And for one of them, I did bring a checked bag because I was in Japan staying in a hotel. Um, the other one, I was backpacking. So I just had a large backpack with me. Um, I brought enough for about two and a half weeks, which, ugh. Maybe a little shameful to even, you know, to even admit, but changes of clothing, maybe eight or nine. Um, There were always places to do my laundry. So when I was running low on anything that I needed, um, I would just stop for a few hours and get my laundry done somewhere, which is helpful. (laughs) But I would rather do that than bring too much. Okay, that's awesome. Um, anything else regarding expenses that we left out? I don't think so off the top of my head. And like I said, it might seem like a simple thought, but just putting in the work beforehand, putting in the work and doing the research and what's going to be cheapest um, and what you what you are going to want to do there so that you can kind of come up with, come up with a budget for yourself, um, is, is the biggest thing. Okay. Um, Kenzie, I think I only have about two or three more questions. Um, let's just say somebody can't travel. They either have obligations at home or maybe they need two jobs or there's just something going on where they just can't travel. I guess we're going back to maybe your childhood where it just wasn't a priority in the family, can a person get the travel experience? You know, the growth of personality or the adventure, can they get all of this without going any farther than, say, 50 miles? Yes, and I'm really glad that you asked this question because I think it's really important. Because when someone sees that, oh, you, you know, you went to Europe for a month, I could never do that, right? I could never leave my job. I could never leave my family. I couldn't, like you said, all of those different circumstances that go into it. Um, I think people become overwhelmed and think that they can't have certain experiences for themselves. Um, and this is something as time has went on that I've actually gotten better at doing um, is really, really appreciating whatever it is that is around you. And 
it might be easier for someone who lives, say, you know, in San Diego, (laughs) because you can probably walk to the beach or, you know, take a hike, whatever you want, want to do like that. It's, you know, it's a lot more accessible, but, and the weather's always nice too, which is great. (laughs) Um, but for those who, you know, live in the Midwest, we do have those months where the weather doesn't cooperate or we just feel like it's, you know, it's, we can't really get outside or there's not much around us that maybe is exciting. You really, you have to look at your surroundings in a different way and learn to think more positively about what's around you. So even if it's just your city, um, and trying to do something new, even if it's small, like eating at a new restaurant that you have maybe always wanted to try, but haven't, or go sitting in that park that uh, maybe I don't want to go do it by myself, but I'm really needing that today. So I'm going to go do it anyway. I think that those small experiences can be just as wonderful as these, you know, these international travels. It's all about how you look at it. And I think for myself in the last few years, I've realized that, no, I'm not going to just drop everything and go for a two-month backpacking trip because for most people, that is not how life operates. Um, so just, you know, finding the state parks in my area that, you know, are more accessible for me to get to and I can do it on a Saturday morning if I'd like to and learning how to appreciate what's around me. I'm, I'm not sure if I would have branched out in my area if I wouldn't have done these things. So I absolutely think that someone who isn't able to travel could 100% be fulfilled with what's around them if they have the right mentality. And um, I, I would end with just saying that trying something new, whatever it is, can help you feel that sense of adventure or excitement. What Literally whatever it is, it can be the smallest thing. But as long as it's something that you have never experienced before, that's that's the trick. And and I suppose if a person thinks I've seen it all and done it all in my little town, just go to the nearest convenience store, buy something that you've never eaten before, and eat that. Yeah, absolutely. And, or if your town has 800 people, I bet you haven't talked to all of them. I, I would agree. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. And even... Um, you know, even in small towns, there are things that you can still discover and you can go for a walk and walk on every single street and, you know, learn something new about a house that's a house that's being remodeled or maybe a house that you've never even noticed before. Or you wonder, oh, who lives, who lives there? I don't know. Um, there's always things that you can discover. Absolutely. And you'll be so happy that you did it in the end. Like you said, going to the convenience store and getting getting some kind of food that you've never had before you'll think to yourself after hey i'm glad i did that yeah (laughs) even if i even if i didn't like it i'm glad i tried it yeah a a new experience even if bad is still a new experience okay Uh so my favorite question is i ask everybody this is imagine that you are 100 years old now 
and you are sitting on the porch and your loving husband is holding your hand and you are just surrounded by children and grandchildren and one of your descendants asks you, Grandma, as a traveler, what do you look back on most fondly and should I travel, Grandma? What do you say? Wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. What a wonderful question. You ask everyone this, obviously framed towards what you're interviewing them about. That's right. Uh, what do you look back on most fondly? Oh. If I could... If I could recap it in some way, you know, everything that we have discussed... I would say having the constant courage to, to do it and the reward that it ends up giving you and all the things that we, that we discussed because it does take so much courage. And I, I, I feel very fulfilled and that is important to me. And I would assume that any children and grandchildren I have will have that same mentality. And I think that I could, I could give a good sales pitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly did to me <laughs> for, for doing so. And if a grandchild asked, should I travel? Absolutely. I, I would, I would tell them, to do it in whatever way that they might be able to. Like you said, whether it's, well, maybe maybe they have the money to, say, do study abroad for six months, or they, they could go somewhere for, you know, even a year. Maybe they could go somewhere for two weeks, whatever it is. Um, I would tell them to make it happen. And... I think as you get older, it becomes harder because life becomes more complex. You have more responsibilities. So being able to do it when you're young before those things come up. And then I think being able to enter into your adult life or your professional life in, in a way that keeps your mind more open and helps you to be more well-rounded and competent. Um, yeah, and to appreciate the small things. I wouldn't want someone to wait their whole life to do it. <laughs> I would want them to do it right away. <laughs> do, do it while you're young and fit and maybe not 80 and just a little bit stiff and rickety. That's true. <laughs> I, I guess I'm hearing that the real benefits are things like courage and self-confidence and becoming a more open-minded person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, the open-minded piece of it is, is more important than, than we think. It's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Kenzie. I just really appreciate having the opportunity to talk with you. I think I could do a 10-hour podcast just asking you about each country. <laughs> thank you, Tim. 
well. I appreciate you asking me to share, and I equally probably could talk to you for 10 hours about, <laughs> about this. So. Well, hopefully we can do this again sometime. I hope so, too. Thank you, Kenzie. Thank you for listening to Seemingly Ordinary. The next episode will be on a Tuesday or a Thursday. The biggest favor you could do for me would be for you to share this episode far and wide.